0: Do this let's talk about talk. Hey there, I'm Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Welcome to Talk About Talk, the communication focused podcast that provides us with the knowledge, strategies, and confidence to enrich our relationships and enhance our career success. <coughs> this week, we're talking about trust. Do you trust me? Gosh, I hope so. Do you ever get a feeling with some people that you don't trust them, but you're not sure why? After listening to this podcast episode, you'll feel much more confident in determining whether you can trust someone, and you'll learn how to communicate that you are trustworthy. So first, I'm going to share some background on trust, what it is, who we trust, and how we communicate trustworthiness. Then I'm going to introduce you to our guest expert, Baron Manet a brilliant marketer and the founder of Per Se Brand Experience. Barron has a few things to say about trust. Then I'll wrap up with the key learnings. So as always, you don't need to take notes. Just sit back and listen. If there's something you want to reference, it's all on the Talk About Talk website in the show notes under the podcast tab. All right, let's do this. If you're a regular listener, you probably can guess where I'm going to start. Definitions. What is Trust. Well, trust can be defined as confidence in or dependence on a person or an entity. That entity could be a company, a political party, a service provider, a brand, anything really that you might or might not have confidence in or be dependent on. The context for trust is always future-oriented. That makes sense. Trust relates to our prediction about expectations of future uncertainty. As you'll hear in a moment, our guest expert, Barron, says that brand trust is really just a promise, which is also future-oriented. Here's something interesting that I found when I was researching trust. Listen to this. The tendency to trust others is a strong predictor of subjective well-being. Of course, there are many caveats and interactions associated with this effect, but in case you're not a psychologist, Here's what it means. People who are trusting are generally happier. Well, that's just one reason why trust is important. Other reasons why trust is important are related to how people interact and work together. If you think about it, trust is indispensable in friendship, love, and families, never mind in politics and business. We don't want to spend time socially with people who we don't trust, right? And obviously we wouldn't do business with them. Trust also relates to influence and persuasion. If no one trusts you, whether in a personal or a professional context, you'll have absolutely no influence. Moving on, then, from the definition and significance of trust, here's a question for you. Who do we trust? The answer is that we make a lot of assumptions about who we trust. We have to. We have to make predictions all the time, right? In prehistoric days, we used to live and interact in very small groups, small villages, It was pretty simple to keep track of who to trust and who not to trust. Nowadays, we live in big cities and interact with massive corporations. How do we know who to trust? And then there's the Internet, where more and more commerce is being transacted through a keyboard and a screen. How do we know who to trust? Of course, we are more likely to trust authority figures and established brands. You'll hear more about this in a moment from our guest expert, Baron Monet. We also trust those who are trusted by others. That's why testimonials and endorsements can be powerful, right? Even a testimonial from a stranger provides some proof of trustworthiness. But testimonials or endorsements from experts, you know, four out of five dentists say, can be even more trustworthy and persuasive. We are also more likely to trust people with whom we have things in common, Psychologists call this in-group favoritism. We are more likely to trust people in our in-group versus our out-group. So, if you are seeking trust from someone, you might highlight what you have in common with them. Another way of saying this is that we're more likely to trust people when we perceive less difference between them and ourselves. Let me give you a cool example from research. Think about income inequality, In countries where there's a significant disparity in terms of income, such as Singapore, research shows that people are generally less trusting of one another. Whereas in countries such as Norway and Sweden, where there's less income disparity, people are more trusting. In preparation for this podcast, I watched a few TED Talks that focus on trust. You can find the links to them in the show notes. Interestingly, a few of these TED Talks highlighted Airbnb specifically – and how Airbnb designs for trust. Here is something to think about. Consider this. People may throw their towels on the floor in a hotel, right? I know I've done it. They might even steal things. But they probably wouldn't do that when they're in an Airbnb. We're all rating each other on Airbnb, so we are much more likely to trust one another. Hmm, okay. That's kind of sad, but true. Aha! Okay, moving on to communicating trust and interpreting trustworthiness. This is the fun part, the prescription. What to say and what to do, and what to look for in others. How do we signal that we're trustworthy? There's another great TED Talk that I recommend you listen to by Harvard Business School professor Frances Fry, where she talks about firms building trust. She focuses particularly on Uber, a firm that has had significant trust issues. But Professor Fry's model of trust works for us humans, too. She says there are three legs necessary for trust to stand up. If one of those legs is wobbly, trust fails. Those legs are authenticity, logic, and empathy. She says, and I quote, If you sense that I'm authentic, you are much more likely to trust me. If you sense that I have real rigor in my logic, you are far more likely to trust me. And if you believe that my empathy is directed towards you, you are far more likely to trust me. When all three of these things are working, we have great trust. But if any one of these three gets shaky, if any one of these three wobbles, trust is threatened. I love this simple framework. Authenticity, logic, and empathy. The next time I'm feeling like I'm not sure why my radar is telling me not to trust someone, I'm first going to see if it's one of these things authenticity, logic, or empathy. One of them is probably missing. It works the other way too, though. If you're trying to get someone to trust you, you might want to reinforce first that you are authentic, second, that you are logical and rigorous, and third, that you are empathetic towards the other person. Got it? Okay, there are also many, many body language cues that signal trustworthiness. Things we should try to remember ourselves and look for in others. Many of them were highlighted in the first Talk About Talk podcast episode called Body Language with Cynthia Barlow. It's a really fun episode if you haven't heard it already. Let me run through a few things now to keep in mind in terms of body language and trustworthiness in particular. So I read the research and most of the points come down to three things. Posture, hands, and eyes. First, posture. Good posture always conveys authority and helps people trust you. So sit up or stand up and don't be afraid to take up lots of space. Don't slouch. But also remember that it's okay to lean in towards the other person and even to mirror their posture and their gestures to demonstrate that you're listening and engaged. There is one big don't here. Don't cross your arms and don't even cross your legs. Be open. Crossed arms look like you're closed off or distanced. Not trustworthy. Then there's the hands. This is a simple one. Hidden hands may signal that you're hiding something. So keep your hands out of your pockets. And if you're seated at a table, put your hands on the table. People are more likely to trust you if they can see your hands. And last, eyes. We've all heard that eye contact is key. But here's the thing. Have you ever been talking to someone and they're looking around? It might be that they aren't interested. Or it might be that they're hiding something and feeling a bit shifty. So just look at the person you're talking to and smile, a real smile, the kind of smile that creates wrinkles around your eyes. Then also eyebrows. Apparently there are three main emotions that make your eyebrows go up. Do you know what they are? Surprise, worry, and fear. So if you're trying to gauge whether someone is trustworthy and their eyebrows keep going up, ask yourself, and this is a fair question. What the heck is going on? Okay, that's it for body language and trust. It's posture, hands, and eyes. Now, I'd like to introduce you to our guest expert, Baron Manet. Baron is one of Canada's leading brand builders and a frequent speaker on brand experience, content marketing, and audience engagement. Recall at the beginning, when I was defining trust, that I said trust can be defined as confidence in or dependence on a person or an entity. Of course that entity could be a brand. Barron is the founder of Per Se Brand Experience, a brand consultancy focused on helping organizations reach, relate, and grow successfully and sustainably. His work has contributed to the marketing success of many brands, including RBC, Visa, Conagra, Unilever, Maserati, CIBC, BMO, Harris Bank, DNH, Ontario's Ministry of Education, and TD Bank. Barron is an active marketing industry mentor and supporter, and he's founded and chaired several Canadian Marketing Association conferences. He's also the co-founder of Ensemble, a quarterly content series highlighting the future of communication, talent, and brands. And Barron is also a professor of marketing at the Seneca School of Business in Toronto, where his work is focused on audience behavior, content integration, and brand experience. Baron holds an MBA from the Schulich School of Business in Toronto, which is where I met Baron. He was one of my favourite MBA classmates. We worked together on a group project and actually remained friends, which I have to tell you, says a lot. You could say that based on that experience, Baron and I trust each other. Thank you so much for joining us, Baron. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to start with definition and context sure. and talk to me about trust but in a brand sense
1: it's a timely topic because um there's a lot of people who who are questioning if trust even exists anymore Mm. across spectrums you know political environments even how we treat the foundations of marriage so there's a general consensus that some people think brands have a role now because we are looking for entities to trust but the way that we, we at Per Se, my company, or uh, the way I like to think about a brand is a brand's a promise. That's all it really is. If you think about the, the products you use and really if you go up a level for your listeners, the brands that you choose, one brand over another, often brands help us organize why we choose and buy one thing over another, whether it's a certain type of car or a certain type of jacket or a place we travel. Or know. even a toothpaste. Or even a toothpaste, right? Which is why, you know, speaking of trust there, you really rarely see a toothpaste ad without an endorsement from some sort of dental counsel. Four out of five recommend. There was a time when uh, four out of five doctors recommended Camel cigarettes as well back in the toothpaste. Right. So trust changes in the context of the time you live in. But right now, I mean, if we go back to that definition, a brand is a promise. But really, we measure brands by our actions and experiences, Right? So if you've ever gone to a restaurant that you love, it is your family restaurant, you go all the time, and then one day you have a bad service, bad dish, bad experience. It changes your thought of the restaurant, Where up until that moment, you trusted them. Um, you know, so And they broke their promise. And they broke their promise. Right? So the interesting thing about brands and trust is a promise for you to a brand and a promise to me for the same brand could be different. Right? You might wear a certain type of running shoe because it looks great whereas uh, I might wear a certain type of running shoe because I need high-performance workout for tennis. Probably, or it could be the other way around. Probably right? have that backwards, actually. <laughs> uh, oh I, it looks great when I put my feet up. Though she's, but we're, you know, we, what we're looking for at a brand is personal. And there's all kinds of um, research and surveys. There's trust surveys, and Edelman has something called the Trust Barometer. Right, the University of Victoria does a trust study. So there's all kinds of places that monitor and measure how trust sentiment is tracking because there's there's good business behind it
0: and there's more and more evidence of that obviously.
1: yes, absolutely uh you know uh, brands that we trust we usually spend more, we usually spend more often, and we don't mind paying a premium rather than waiting for things to go on sale right so on the flip side it's where brands that are in commodity businesses often are having trouble so that
0: reminds me of something when you said that brands are promises Mm -hmm. it made me think of something that i've been hearing a lot lately which is brands are actually stories uh, well, so what's the distinction there?
1: I think it depends on the life of the brand. I mean, if a, if a brand has come out in the last couple of years, it could have a story or it could be building a story. I think a goal for a successful brand is to build a great story. Those stories change. Cadillac had a story past, right? If you were going to buy a luxury automobile in North America at one time, it was Cadillac. Cadillac is looking to reconnect that story with younger audiences who aren't familiar with their story. Right, so I think uh, a brand's a story. Promises are the proof points of those stories. So
0: it made me think of something, which is storytelling is a little bit about the past, right? For example, luxury brands are trying to endow a story upon you, right, about who you are. But this, the brand story is about the past, like your point about Cadillac. But right. on the other hand, trust is. The future. When I was doing the research on the construct of trust in general, they said it's a future-oriented construct because it's your belief of whether they're going to act in a dependable way in the future.
1: Yes, I would agree with that. I think our degrees of strength of trust are based on proxies, often the past, you know, like... Yeah. Uh, so the evidence. I just did a quick update for 2019 on, you know, brands that are really scoring high in Canada on trust. You know, Mountain Equipment Co-op. So it's interesting that a co-op, a cooperative-based business, is number one in trust.
0: Absolutely. It would make sense,
1: right? It's member-based. It's, uh, there's an element of socialism, if you will, there. So the transparency is built into that trust. So no wonder trust would be there. Brands like RBC... Um, shoppers drug mart like, I sure hope we trust where we get our medication right uh, also we can buy candy bars and chips there as well Canadian Tire you know a storied historical business in our country home hardware local community based businesses yep. like they should be on trust you know brands that are very large Visa you know, RBC, banks, we trust, you know, we we trust these big institutions to help us with our dreams, with our our family lives, with our retirement planning. Um, I feel like that might be changing. It's interesting, right? In the olden days, and by that, I mean, you know, going to the bank with my parents or my father, because he was the banker in our family, he would handle that business, uh, which dates my age. There were, you know, big banks and successful banks have big buildings in their downtown. Now a younger generation is asking, do I need a bank? Right. Or what my parents said was a bank? Or do I need a older professional to manage my money or can an algorithm computer manage my money? There's a transparency now what am I paying for? What am I getting? Does the payoff match the promise?
0: Fascinating. Back in the early 1900s, people trusted people and then over time we started to trust institutions right and now the pendulum's swinging back and that may explain the mountain equipment co-op phenomenon right but uh, but you could order some of that stuff on amazon or you could you can go to mountain equipment co-op
1: you know you have more options now for your listeners where do you buy products that you feel great after you buy them versus um oh i bought it something doesn't work and now um I, I have to call customer service, or in the case like like the cell phone companies or cable TV I just, companies. I was
0: just he- headed there I, myself.
1: I just don't want to call.
0: Yeah, credit card companies. Yeah.
1: very tough business. Airlines, so we often have a mistrust of. Now these companies have tremendous things that are probably out of their control. But again, if your brand is a promise, you can't overpromise and underdeliver because none of us have patience for that.
0: Well put. So you mentioned Edelman's, the trust barometer. Yep. And I know different institutions in, in various industries measure trust in different ways. But what are some of the other main brand metrics? Volume and profit are kind of the ultimate goal of most for-profit organizations. But then there's all these less tangible things that are being measured. And where does how and where does trust fit in there?
1: Well, I think it, there was a time... Um, and I was lucky enough to know you in graduate school, right? So there was a time where we would be taught, yes, corporations exist to make a, a profit, to return on uh, shareholder investment and those kinds of things. Uh, I look at it that trust is a way to build a business. So I, I look at trust as more of a foundational core ten of the business. I think there were businesses in the past that said, okay, we're going to make something really inexpensively, make it look really expensive and almost trick people into buying it. I think a time before the internet, you could possibly do these things, right? I I don't think there is anywhere to hide anymore with the internet. Mm. And so I think how we're connected and can share information and have access to transparency um, can be a very good thing because it sort of pulls back the curtain. The flip side of that is a lot of us as an audience, we often don't read the sources. Uh, to the detail that we read online and we're so used to well if it's online it must be true but yeah. is it true and so yeah. now you get into we did a session at uh, my speaker series ensemble last year on fake news and trust in brains and where is there a role in research we were looking at as government institutions drop in trust there's a gap that we are looking for someone or something to mm-hmm. fill this void of trust and Audiences seem very open to the idea of companies could step in on the right circumstances and fill that trust gap more and more. I think that's going to be shown as good business. Yeah. Right. So, um, and again, going back to RBC, which is a client we work, do work with on, uh, on, at my company and proud to do so. And the transparency they have in their, in their diversity programs and actually doing an annual report of how they're doing as a company from, Labor force, from the people they work with, who they collaborate with, how their um, environmental impact is. These are things that weren't talked about widely 25 years ago. But now, you know, there are people who will make their banking choices on environmental responsibility, and kudos to them for having a A guidebook to which to make their purchases. I think a lot of people still maybe aren't as thoughtful in their purchases and say, I want X, I will buy it. But more and more, you know, where is that diamond mined from? Right. Where was my coffee picked? Where was my cheese made? You know, can I buy local? From my vantage point as a marketer, I think um, that's, how do you tell that story? I think Starbucks is a great offering. So the price has gone up, margins have gone up, consumer expectations are way up. They are. Yeah. I mean, I think probably because of some of the social platforms, you know, uh, what I see on Instagram, do I expect that in reality? So then you get into a whole, there's probably a whole other podcast around optics and reality.
0: We can get a little bit into that here now, just Mm -hmm. in terms of online shopping. So Mm -hmm. it took a big leap for each of us the first time we entered our credit card into this internet machine, right? Right. And here we are now. And there's clickbait and there's fake news
1: and there's fake websites. Well, and it's another, it's, it's actually a good example where brands have an influence into factoring purchases. So am I going to put my credit card into a Nike.com versus a site I've never heard of? Right? That's right. So what are some of the things that
0: new brands, so mm-hmm. say you're a new competitor to nike and you want to establish trust in the marketplace
1: and particularly online what are some signals that you are trustworthy i think if you're going to say something that you got to do it right like if you're going to walk the talk you got to be you got to back it up showing people trust is a muscle right so uh the more you keep your promises the stronger you get the minute you do not it is down the tubes Right, We have no patience for anybody. No one wants to be lied to. No one wants to feel duped or tricked. I was just reading about how there's a service now in Toronto that um, you can go and take pictures of you sitting in what looks like a private jet. And then you Instagram that you're on a jet, but you're in a studio. There's a lot of stuff that's not real. And I think you have to be media literate, especially online media literate, to make these choices. But brands can help you with trust. You know, I don't want to enter my credit card on a site that doesn't have visa verification. What if we went to a site and they only accepted Bitcoin? How would we feel about that? What does that mean about the site? I probably would back away. No offense to anybody who's in Bitcoin, but I just don't understand enough about it. It's so affiliating
0: well. yourselves with other trusted entities, actually, is it, mm-hmm. one way. Well,
1: oh, I think you're known by the company you keep. Mm-hmm. Online or offline, mm-hmm. you're known by the company you keep. You, know, you choose your friends, people make choices based on who you hang out with. It's no different in brands. It's we a don't.
0: halo effect. So a minute ago, you touched on transgressions, and I'd love to go there. So
1: <laughs>
0: there'll be some sort of transgression where trust is violated. Yep. Can you talk about that from a brand
1: perspective? Sure. I mean, listen, I think it's. I think brands have a lot of challenges now, right? So sometimes in the quest to maybe be cool or to really try and get to that next level of relationship, brands might go offside or... Uh, we see this often in social media where they're trying to be in pop culture and they might say the wrong thing. But what I'll let my friends say versus what I'll let my bank say or what I'll let my candy bar say is different. I think the audience has has some degree of patience if brands are trying and trying to make things better in the conversation. How do we know if they're trying though? Well, again, that's that's the challenge, right? You can't just say something, you have to say it with meaning, you have to show that it happened you have to be able to have all those touch points to prove that you're genuine about something or else it looks like you're whitewashing your brand behind an opportunity and that's not genuine but i i I do think when transgressions happen and they do happen and they will happen sometimes honest mistakes happen i don't think enough brands know how to say sorry all right and i think that's I, i think i don't think enough politicians know how to say sorry either and i think So how would you, is there a framework that you use or a list of things that I recommend your clients do? Be honest. You got to be honest. It's not a formula, but this happened. If there was responsibility from the brand or company side, this is what happened. This is why we think it happened. We made a mistake. We are sorry we abused your trust and we will endeavor to do better. So, A, you've got to admit it. A lot of people are like, if... I, the phrase I hear a lot from brands and politicians is, if anybody was offended, we're sorry. Well, what does that mean? Too many apologies come off as lawyer right. um, speak, where really we're looking for human responses. And So taking responsibility. And yeah, you've got to be courageous. This is reminding me of a
0: podcast interview that I did early on with Graham Harris, who's a PR expert. Yeah. And he was talking about, uh, of course being honest, being fully transparent and never making promises about that will never happen again, but actually saying, here's also what we're doing to try to ensure that it doesn't. And then that is, you can't go wrong. I think of
1: a brand uh, in the food business, I think of Maple Leaf Foods, but they had some trouble uh, a few years back around food safety. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a lot of things right in, you know, bringing that issue forward Showing what they did, showing what they're going to do, and they realize this is a long term road ahead to earn back trust and I think they're doing it, I think they're chipping away at it, but it's one of those things where it takes it takes a long time to build it 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 takes a nanosecond to lose it, and it's a lot more expensive to have to rebuild it right so um I think we have an antenna naturally as as audiences about. Who's doing something for the right reasons and who's doing something around motivated self-interest? Right. So, uh, a simple thing is if we go online and let's say you want to download a piece of content or something you want to, a video you want to watch, you can ask me for my email. Maybe I'll give you that. Uh, my name, fine. You don't need my birthday. As companies, we have to understand value exchanges are human exchanges. And even if you're looking at a screen, right? So I think there's some businesses, you online brands that do a phenomenal job. You know, Dollar Shave Club. What do I really expect to get my razors every month, right? Um, and they, you know, they bother me when they need to bother me. What do I need to know? Is it coming? And was it shipped? It's great. And then I get a little package. It gives me a little smile. And then that's I. Do I miss going to the grocery store and, and uh, the drugstore and spending five times as much? I do not. So my trust in Gillette razors has evaporated from where it was. Because for years, they told me that was the price. Wow. And it's not the price. Right? It's actually three times less.
0: Your story reminded me when people used to knock on the door and my mom would answer, and they'd be trying to sell food, and she'd say, sell it to the grocery store first and then I'll buy it. Mm -hmm. And now that's kind of turned on its head. But to your point, as long as there's a brand, because there has to be a promise or an expectation of trust associated with it, I think.
1: I think we we, we're getting comfortable. People need to be held accountable. So we need to know, okay, great. Is this worth me parting with my money, parting with my time? Mm -hmm. Forget about money, right? Is this worth me reading? Is this worth me watching? Listening to a podcast? Yeah. I hope, I hope people are still listening. Right? But the fact is, <laughs> it's, all, it's all choice, right? We, we've never had more choices. and So I'm not only worth your money, I'm worth your time and attention. Oh yeah, please. I mean, if, every, if, brands are, if brands are promises and we bring those promises to life around stories, then we need someone to pay attention to those stories. And if you don't have the attention, you're not going to make that connection. Right. Right. So I think brands with high trust scores naturally earn higher attention. Do you happen to know what some of the brands are that have the highest trust scores? Uh, sure. At the University of Victoria study, some of the top performing brands were Mountain Equipment, were uh, CAA, uh, Home Hardware, Shopper's Drug Mart, Canadian Tire. So they're all retailers. Not all of them, right? There's many b- of them. There's banks up there, but I know that Tim Hortons scores went down in trust after the acquisition. From 3G Capital, I believe. So it went from being a Canadian company We trusted healthcare. you as Canadians. Right. You're a Canadian brand. You wrapped yourself in the you know, in the blanket. And you know, now you're on a beach in Rio. I don't know, right? Sun Life comes up in scores, mm. Weber Barbecues, mm. uh, you know, Blue Cross in the US. Like, you know, anything on health band aid brand is one of the top ten. I would hope that if you're gonna put something on a wound, it's trusted, right? Absolutely. Um, I think food brands are really important on this. Uh, I mean, look, you know, that old famous marketing story of Tylenol. Tylenol. tylenol just thinking yeah, that when too. Tylenol went through, you know, what was it? It's a, long, it's a while ago. It was in 80s. Yeah, so 40 years ago, right? So, and what they had to do to bring back trust, like trust in medicines. There's certain things that are kind of sacrosanct, right? Like trust in medicines. But I think the brands that offer more trust uh, or or prove the payoff of trust, I think they're probably their business performance is stronger certainly you know in terms of your point of
0: about margin i think is a good one
1: yeah so you've touched on some of this
0: but i just want to end this part of the interview by asking you how trust may be different for brands that exist in different domains so first one is they exist as a service versus they exist as a product is there a difference in terms of the trust construct,
1: there, I, th- um, I don't think there is. I think the idea of trust that we have an expectation mm-hmm. that's been set, whether rightly or wrongly, I don't know, given the situation. But the audience has an expectation, and then trust is earned if it meets or exceeds that expectation. And if we fall short, then we have a gap.
0: So, but that's at a meta level, right? If at you take a, it down, at a more individual transaction level. If you think about it, a service there's a person probably representing a company, and then you have a relationship with the person and with the company versus a product, it's just the physical product. Well, I think
1: there's an immediacy in service, mm-hmm. right? One, that reminds me, because one of the top 10 brands in the study was Fairmont Hotels. What an incredibly difficult job. Business, right. right? I mean, you're home away from home. We're going to pamper you. Our expectations of luxury have just continue to go up and up. Um, but when somebody gets it right, And it's interesting what makes it right. You know, so a room upgrade, um, a note from the general manager, very thoughtful, small things that really aren't expensive. You know, um, Hilton Hotels, I believe, is the brand in the U.S. And they go on Twitter. They're looking for travelers who have questions in various major cities. And whether or not you're staying at the hotel, they try to answer them.
0: I've heard that. Right.
1: Talk about trust. So the idea of trust and service with no expectation of short term payback. Mm. Amazing. Whereas the product actually couldn't really do that. I mean, they could,
0: but it's more complicated. It could.
1: It's hard. There's a there's a almost a fourth wall there that I have to go call or do something to get mm-hmm. resolution. Um, however, you know, Amazon solved it. If you don't like it, put it back in the box. We'll take it back. Um, you know, I have a real life example. I was traveling recently on a business trip, and I had a car rental with Avis. You know, and um, I was traveling with my family, and They didn't have my car. You know, I got to Miami, and they didn't have my car. And it's 1 in the morning. And I said, "What? I reserved it. I gave you my credit card. I paid you in advance, right? And they're like, well, we're sorry. I go, okay. So I go, no problem. What should we do? Right? Like, how are you going to resolve it? All right? My trust is close to being broken. You can save it. Like, big, great Work with me. And she's like, well, I can give you this uh, four-door, four-passenger car. I go, but I have, I'm traveling with six people with luggage. She goes, well, you could rent a second car. I go, well, it's 1.30 in the morning. Yeah. And uh, you want my wife and I to split our families up at added expense. So in line, out of frustration, I just went on Twitter. Hey Avis, I'm having trouble. Anybody care? And I got a faster digital response than a human response wow. in, in the place of business. Um, you know, they still dropped the ball, right? And I promised Avis that because they dropped the ball, whenever I have the chance to tell them that, I would say, you know, Avis gave me a bad experience. I no longer, I have a story. And I no longer bring my business to Avis, both personal or corporate business. Because yeah. um, they didn't give me resolution. But you know it did give me resolution? Uber. Uber got my family to the hotel in one car. Wow. Do I even need a rental car? From what a car great home? story. Yeah, So they broke the promise.
0: The best thing they probably could have done for you would have been to go next door, rent a car from
1: you from someone else yeah. and say, we'll eat it. Right. But know, oh, that mean, would have been story worthy, too. Absolutely. I often think so. You know, a clients ask us a lot. What's the easiest thing we can do to, great, uh, to earn trust? Say thanks. Say thank you. Remember the manners we got taught as kids. Please and thank you.
0: And to your point from earlier, Mm -hmm. also apologize
1: when something goes wrong. Yeah, take responsibility. It's amazing that taking responsibility in today's day and age is a tiebreaker. We are expecting the worst out of people. We are expecting people to take the easy way out, to not say sorry, to lie. So the people who stand... It's It is. But from a marketing point of view, opportunity. What is the audience... What are they looking for? And do we have the fortitude... And the belief that, yeah, you know what? Let's stand up and say, this is what happened, Mm -hmm. and this is how we're going to get better. So my dissertation
0: research concluded that experts in a particular product category want to have stories that demonstrate their expertise. And how do they do that? By sharing stories of positive consumption experiences. Of course. So they're looking for these extremely positive outcomes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that could include a transgression that was corrected faithfully,
1: right? Mm -hmm. People are so human. People it make is low mistakes. hanging fruit. You know, I think if you're going to tell your kid to apologize when they make a mistake, why should we not hold a, a CEO accountable? Absolutely. Right? I'm, I'm thinking of all those wonderful CEOs going to Washington talking about privacy and data. So, who has the opportunity to really step up? Because I think we'll reward that company, that brand. We'll see what happens. We'll see who that. Mm-hmm. To be continued, right? Absolutely. So rapid fire is now. I'm going to move on
0: to the five rapid fire questions. I hope I that, can do this. Okay, number okay. one. What are your pet peeves?
1: Colleagues who start their sentences with no. Or yeah. How about this one? But yeah. There's a, I do I I do a wonderful work with um, uh, improv comedians and people from the Second City, and they joke uh, that a uh, Canadian no is yes but wow that's a great idea yes but we can't do it right but very often uh just because we're in we're in boardrooms trying to develop creative ideas with other people who maybe don't do it every day they are like no and that just shuts everything down right so it's just i'm always interested how people start their sentences Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Question number two, what type of learner are you? Are you visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or some other kind of learner?
1: I'm the kind of learner, I need to learn by doing. Experiential. I have to write things down, or, or else it, I feel it drops out of my brain, but let me do it with you, and I find that's the quickest way that I can take comprehension away.
0: Okay. Question number three, introvert or extrovert?
1: I'm interested, because you know me a little bit from, from our past. so. I am going to say, I and people listening if they know me are going to laugh, I believe I'm an introvert that forces himself to be an extrovert because I think it's been better for my professional development. Uh, but so, I talk so much at work when I go home at night or spend time with my family or if I go on vacation, I, I, I become quite uh, introverted. And so
0: you're more isolated, more solemn.
1: Just shut. Just tired. Shut it down. Like who? People are sick of hearing from you. You get your energy <laughs> from. Yeah, I guess re- recuperating. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I had a mentor early on who was big on ex- being extroverted. So you kind of forced yourself to be outgoing when the lights on at work, and then all right, we're done for the day. Great, let's shut it down.
0: Next question is your communication preference for personal conversations
1: whenever I have my choice it's face to face I love seeing people uh, especially as we get more digital Um, I think if it's not face to face if you are closest in my circle you'll be on text and then I have degrees away from text so whether that is text email social media Instagram a little bit yeah Instagram LinkedIn less Facebook Uh, Snapchat just with my kids so I can understand how it works, but I'm an interloper there. Um, I'm a big SMS fan. And uh, and it's funny, I'm really a fan of um, memes and emojis and, and GIFs. I love communicating with my close friends and family in images. I'm sort of trying to force myself to text less and just use pictures. I'm just fascinated as a communication form I just you know the way they're built and because I think you know part of our role is to understand where pop culture is heading and I think that's a huge compass in terms of what's earning attention in the now yeah great
0: point nobody's brought up that point I love that last question is there a podcast a blog or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending the most to people
1: yes Yes, and I have all three because I, I, I consume I a ton. So, I'm
0: going to li- put links to the show yeah. notes for all of
1: them. So oh, great. So, um, let's see here. Podcast that I love right now. Uh, I'm a big music fan, so there's a great podcast called Broken Record. Okay. And it's uh, it's a collaboration between Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin, who were a very famous music producer, produced Eminem, produced uh, the Beastie Boys. In terms of blog... Um, There's a blog called, uh, from uh, a group called The Non-Obvious Company, and it's Rohit Bhargava, who is just a digital marketing monster. He's just great. Every time I get uh, an email to his blog, I learn something. He understands the audience trust. He's always, you know, when you sign up for his blog, I will email you a notification on this day, every week, and I don't... He does not break his promises I think for seven years. Wow, boom! boom. Hmm. Just you know, I know I'm gonna get smart. definitely I'm gonna like check that. that one out. So, that's a good one. Um, and then, in terms of email newsletter, there's this great um, couple named uh, uh, Rosie and Ferris, and they are they're creative and, and advertising strategist. Originally, they were out of New York. But they're global nomads. So I think four or five years ago, they shut down and they now work and travel all over the world at the same time. And they're, so they have an email newsletter that tells me where they are in the world, what they're thinking, who they're inspired by, and they're super, super smart. And then I added one as a, as a, a, a self-plug here. Uh, a favorite event is the speaker series I'm working on called Ensemble. And the website is ensembleco.com, where we pick four topics a year that are the intersection between pop culture and business. Yep. And our goal is to uh, provide learning experiences for the next generation of business leaders. So our next one is June 18th in Toronto, with where we're going to be talking about the future of cities from a whole number of different perspectives. And then in September, our next one will be the future of wealth. so uh and our our, very cool uh, topics we got great topics and great speakers and our uh our our tickets go to help raise money for our our partner uh the good folks at we.org yep we're awesome so very cool those are the things i'm putting my attention to when i'm not talking
0: and sharing them and i will also share them in the show notes thank you awesome thank you is there anything else you want to add about trust
1: it's hard work you know, you got to think about it every day and you got to think about, you know, we are a product of our choices. Whether that's personal or whether that is a company, um, people are watching our choices and people are noticing. And if they aren't noticing, then they can easily look it up whenever it fancies them.
0: So your decisions or your choices are cues or signals,
1: right? Uh, Uh, Regarding whether you should be trusted or not. I agree. They are proof points. You know, if the brand is a promise, then your actions are the proof points that support the promise. So whether you're a small business, return your emails, return your phone calls. You know, if you charged X for a job and nothing changed, then that's the bill. You know, your word is your bond. If you're a big, giant company and you promised you were going to do X and Y to your shareholders, do it. And if you did something wrong, say sorry. All the stuff we learned in kindergarten still (laughs) applies. (laughs) <laughs> it does you know? Thanks for having me on. Thank you, thank you so you much, Baron.
0: Well, that was a fun interview. Baron is so passionate about brands, and particularly about brands doing the right thing. I love how he says that all the stuff we learned in kindergarten still applies. Say please, say thank you, and when you mess up, apologize and mean it. So, Baron, thank you for sharing your expertise with us. And I'm looking forward to seeing Barron in action at the next Ensemble Conference. I'll be there, and I hope to see some of you talk about talk listeners there too. I'll leave a link in the show notes so you can find out more. Of course, most of what Barron mentioned applies to brands, to corporations, and to people. I want to highlight first one of Barron's main points. He said, a brand is a promise. These brands, these promises, help consumers with their decision-making. If your brand is a promise, you certainly cannot overpromise and underdeliver because none of us have patience for that. And if the brand is a promise, then a brand's actions, like its quality, its performance, even its corporate partnerships and affiliations, these are the proof points that support the promise. Just like with human relationships and trust, our actions and even our friends and our business partners are also proof points or evidence of whether we're trustworthy. I loved it when Barron said that trust is a muscle. The more you keep your promises, the stronger you get. And the minute you do not, it's down the tubes, right? We have no patience for anybody. Nobody wants to be lied to. No one wants to feel duped or tripped. Which leads me to another of Barron's points about brand transgressions. Barron said that sometimes brand trust or promises are broken. As Barron says, trust is one of the things that it takes a long time to build and a nanosecond to lose. And it's a lot more expensive to have to rebuild it. When I was doing the research for this episode, I read that trust is asymmetrical. It takes a lot of work to establish it and even more to build it back after it's been violated. So again, it's the same for brands and for humans. Barron reminds us to use our manners. Say please, say thank you, and when there's a transgression, a real apology is in order. If we're going to tell our kids to apologize when they make a mistake, why shouldn't we also hold a CEO accountable? Absolutely. There are two other things that I want to highlight again before I let you go, in terms of learnings here, that will help you be a more confident communicator, particularly when it comes to communicating and interpreting trustworthiness. The first is that there are three legs or elements that are necessary for trust. According to Francis Fry, these three elements are authenticity, logic, and empathy. Chances are, if you don't trust someone, they may be inauthentic, they may be illogical, or they may lack empathy and not be acting in your best interests. On the other hand, if they are truly authentic, if they are rigorous and logical, and if they are empathetic to you, They may be worthy of your trust. And last, body language. It comes down to three things. Do you remember what they are? Posture, hands, and eyes. For posture, sit up straight, take up lots of space, don't cross your arms or your legs, but do lean forward towards the other person and mirror them. For your hands, it's simple keep them visible. And your eyes. There's many things for your eyes. The eyes are critical. There's eye contact. There's smiling with your eyes. And watch the eyebrows. There's always something going on when the eyebrows are raised. Okay, that's it. There's a lot to think about from this episode, isn't there? In terms of how to establish our own trustworthiness and then also how to gauge whether others are trustworthy. But it's all listed for you in the show notes on the Talk About Talk website under the podcast tab. So now I have a favor to ask. If you trust me, I would love it if you would tell others about Talk About Talk, whether it's a face-to-face communication or an email or a text with a link or an online review. It all helps me to gain traction and trust in this crazy podcast marketplace. I want to thank you so much for listening. I know we are all busy and I am truly honored that you've listened to this podcast episode. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and subscribe to the weekly email blog. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to sign up for the blog and to access all of the past blogs. Okay, that's it. Thanks again for listening and talk soon.